Brad, we have you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on, man? I'm living the dream. How are you? Living the dream. Sure. <laughs> I, uh, like I'm good, man. I, I realized today that I'm at the point of winter where, like, my body, maybe, maybe it's my blood. I don't know biomechanics and whatnot, biology, but I'm, like, used to the cold. Like, a like a 40-degree day feels like a nice warm day now. And, and that's the point of winter where I'm like, you know what? That's why I like living in the Northeast. So that's my yeah, opening it's, it, spiel. It's like, it's like 15 degrees in Atlanta today, which is insane. So I'm, uh, I'm the opposite, I think, at this point. But that's okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate you popping on here, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time ahead of the holiday. You know, things are busy. Um, but I was going through the standings last night um, thinking – I'm a visual learner. I like to look at the standings whenever I'm trying to figure out what to talk about, whether on the phone in real time with someone or in planning stages. And, uh, you know, this is just a team that's been in the headlines a lot. And um, you obviously cover the Atlanta Hawks as closely as anybody. So appreciate you coming on here, man. Is there is there an, an opening, like, therapy session vent that you wanted to get <laughs> off your chest or, or, or where would you like to begin yeah it's been a weird season i mean for as it actually feels like it's been worse than it has been if that makes sense like i think as, as of the time we're talking they're tied for the seven seed which is not good for where they wanted to be but it's not as bad as you might think by all kind of the way the vibes are around here like it's uh the positivity level is pretty low there's been all kinds of stuff reported they're not playing all that well they've had some injuries and, uh, you know, now a front office shakeup. And it's just kind of, a, kind of a slog so far through 32 games. Like, not that it can't be fixed. And they're getting a little bit healthier now as we're talking as well, which probably will help things. But, yeah, it feels like it's kind of been a uh, – something, something below average. But uh, not a whole lot of fun being had right now, it feels like, around the team. Let's, let's go with one, like, overwhelmingly, I think, positive sub, subtopic before we kind of get into the, the drama, if you will. Because – AJ Griffin was someone that um, I, a lot of people I respect and listen to in the scouting community were very down on. I mean, obviously he was like a top 10 prospect heading into Duke and then he falls into the, the teens where Atlanta ends up scooping him up, but he's now, you know, shot into the starting lineup here. Has he been some type of saving grace or, or, um, uh, a positive development that you're kind of hanging your hat on as a, as a Hawk supporter right now? Yeah, I think he has to be. Honestly, I took a question on my podcast the other day about like, you know, which players on this roster have been even like, I would say reaching expectations for the season or, or definitely exceeding. I think AJ's probably the only guy that's like been a clear positive compared to what people expected. I mean, there's other guys in that mix too, like Capella's probably up there, but uh, Griffin's by far the like, for a rookie, he has been very impressive, and I'm I'm generally skeptical of rookies in particular. Like I like the pick a lot. I thought that was a good value where they got him. He fell pretty pretty far down the board actually from where I thought he might go because of the medical stuff that was sort of circling around him. But um, you talked about it, but like he as a high school guy was a top three guy in that class for a while, and then he had a bunch of injuries, and you kind of seen the guy he was supposed to be so far. And that doesn't mean he's already like lighting the world on fire, but for a 19 year old to be definitely like playing at a rotation level is pretty impressive. And the offense is what it is already. The shooting is really good. And uh, he's been really mature too. Like maybe that helps to have a dad that coaches in the league and you grow up around that. But AJ feels like he's already a veteran in a lot of ways. Like the defense has a, lot, has a long way to go, but he's, he's always under control. Not a whole lot of rookie mistakes. And like, yeah, I think he's definitely the, uh, probably the number one positive of the season so far. The biggest off season addition, obviously that was DeJounte Murray. And I think, there weren't a lot of buzzy topics at the G League Showcase this week in Las Vegas where I flew home from uh, last night. Um, but this team was clearly, uh, I, I think, to topic A, especially after Travis Schlenk ultimately stepped down at some point during the week. Um, but I think... What's been interesting also, talking to people around the league this season, not just this week in Vegas, um, the DeJounte acquisition and the Rudy Gobert trade have been kind of tied together in like anecdotal history of 
the NBA's, um, you know, market value or, or just the overall transaction log of, of this league, um, being that they both happened within a couple of days of each other. They both kind of broke the seal on just a, a large number of unprotected picks going for players that are not, you know, MVP level or like perennial all-star type players. Um, but also in that Minnesota was one of the teams that was looking at DeJounte Murray. So what has been your thoughts on his pairing so far next to Trey Young and particularly for the price that the Hawks paid for him? Yeah, it's interesting because like the Hawks have actually been pretty good when they play together. They have like a plus four or something net rating for the season, which isn't incredible, but still pretty solid. And uh, there's been, of course, a lot of talk about how they fit together. And it's really been when they've both been off the floor or when one of them's been off the floor, where they've actually struggled this year. Um, the minutes together have been pretty good, but it isn't a perfect pairing by any means. I think we all kind of knew that, that was going to take some time. Um, and I, I am not like the lowest guy on Nate McMillan. I think I'm kind of in the middle on him, but he's not the coach that you would pick probably in a, in a vacuum to have those guys play together with because he's like not the most innovative guy on offense and I, I think it's looked okay. I think Murray's been about what I thought he was going to be. But at the same time, he's not, like you said, a perennial all-star guy. I know, I, know, I know he made it last year, but he's more of a, you know, 25 to 45 kind of player in the league. And that's a good player, but he doesn't, like, immediately change your franchise fortunes. And for what they paid for him, people kind of expected that to happen. Um, I think, actually, it's kind of funny to loop him in with Rudy because, because uh, when the Murray deal happened – a lot of the reaction I got around the league, and probably you, I'm sure you did too, was like, well, that's a lot for DeJounte Murray. And then like a couple of days later, it was the Rudy deal. And it was like, oh, well, suddenly the deal doesn't, doesn't look quite as bad because Rudy got like twice as much um, in terms of capital. But it, like on the court, like it's been okay, but those guys do have some work together, uh, some, some work to do together, I should say. I think part of that is that Trey hasn't just played that well this year, which is part of the deal here. But um, they have, uh, they've not been a disaster, but they have not lit the world on fire either. And because of the what they paid to get him, and how like much depth they gave up to get him in that transaction and other deals. I think they probably had to have those guys be awesome together right away, and they haven't been. Yeah, I think the cost, honestly, was pretty appropriate, especially when you factor in that he's going to be on this lower salary, you know, 18, 19, whatever exactly it is, through next season two before his contract comes up. Um, and to be clear, like he's going to get paid after that. Um, but yeah. I think I think if you look at this from a sheer asset management standpoint, which is how the most frugal front office folk do, um, to get someone who will be a max level player for two years at a mid tier salary, I think is also. If, I mean, if if I was part of the team nucleus that brought him in, not just in Atlanta but in general, any team that was looking to acquire him, because a lot were, you know, the Knicks were looking at it before. Uh, and even after, I think, they, they went after Jalen Brunson. Um, and we mentioned Minnesota. Um, there there were definitely others that, um, you know, he, he's just that good of a player. So I think the contract value helps offset the cost too. But um, it's also, to me, the, the biggest factor, the biggest undercurrent of that deal was – um, further marrying this team to Trey Young and to um, his representation and that DeJounte is also a clutch client and these guys clearly wanted to put play together. Um, and look, there's been a shifting of the tide behind the scenes to be where we are now at today, where the Hawks basketball operations are going to be piloted by Landry Fields. Um, Travis Schlenk, ultimately exiting stage left uh, from this Hawks regime has been kind of one of the bigger open secrets in the league for a while now. Um, a lot of people were expecting it to happen after the season though. And to be candid, like I haven't asked cause I'm not exactly trying to rattle cages more than I have to. Um, <laughs> and to I, I don't really know why it happened now. Um, I have some ideas that I will be saving for later are trying to bring to people who would know. Um, but it, 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 the timing is curious, especially as they're in the third or fourth or fifth or sixth straight transaction window trying to trade John Collins. Um, and 
there really does seem to be like a, a solidifying nucleus of Nick Ressler, Landry Fields, Trey Young, and that cohort um, in Atlanta's personnel department that um, is following suit with that leadership structure. Uh, and that's kind of where this team is at right now to me to the point where and I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close and into a question. I promise soon. Um, <laughs> when Chris Haynes reports yesterday that rival teams are looking at Trey Young as a potential trade request guy in the, in the coming, you know, 12 to 18 months or whatever, like, I don't know he's going to find a better situation that's more, you know, being bent to his will and being shaped around him. And that's kind of my, my read on the, 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 the shifting tectonic plates there. I mean, it seems like it's the last, I mean, ever since they made the conference finals, it seems like every, everything has been trending more and more towards building around Trey and, and having the people who are uh, fully in charge of things, doubling down on, on wanting to build around Trey and Travis Schlenk obviously drafted the guy. Um, but it seems like by all accounts that the closer connections between Trey and front office and uh, overall team people have been with Landry Fields and Nick Ressler and others, not exactly named Travis Schlenk. Yeah, that's, that's tracks what I've heard too. It's kind of funny. Like you said that, uh, the, the Travis thing was kind of open secret. I'm I'm with you on that. I was surprised only by the timing, which you said too. Like I didn't expect it to be now. Um, I was not as surprised as people outside the organization were because it was like, all right, this is not. Uh, it's been brewing for a while that there was not like it was not all harmony in that front office, uh, which is now I guess now pretty public. But it's still not at, at the time, um, more people like insider I guess knew that was coming through. But yeah, uh, you mentioned the name Nick Ressler. Uh, I, I, I mentioned his name on my reaction podcast. People were kind of surprised by like how candidly I talked about that. But like that's an open secret too, that he has a lot of power in the organization, maybe in a way that's not like in title. But it uh, sounds like you've heard the same thing about how, uh, how much influence he might have because you know he and Landry are tight. I, I mean, Landry even told a story on the air where he kind of got hooked up with the organization through Nick Ressler um, meeting as a scout, which I was surprised was like a public story, but he did say it on the record. So uh, that's all interesting on the, on the back end for sure. I mean, it's it's not really like a shadowy thing. We've got to kind of whisper about like Nick has a title. He does have a title. His his title is the director of business and basketball operations. That position at other teams is, uh, I mean, I I mean that position across the board at front offices around the league, is I mean a director of basketball operations is a pretty high level position. It's not, you know, one, two, or three. But when teams have meetings on need to know basis,es and there's just the people that are in the room, that position's in the room regardless of where the owner's son at other organizations around the league. So, um, and a lot of people also do hold that spot. I don't know a lot, but I, I know of at least several others who hold that title too, or at least um, nominally speaking, the director of basketball ops does have um, influence and, and typically is the connection piece to the business ops too. So I, it actually like does seem like the exact position that an owner's son would hold. Um, and like, I think people and, and people in this business like to talk, like, I don't think, there's any substance in this in this instance to anything that would say like it's like an inmate running the asylum type thing right like i think people are just kind of curious to see how this will go how 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 this leadership structure will move forward and how successful it will be i don't think it's like i mean you can cry nepotism or what have you that's how the nba works and i also think that um there, people aren't like looking at this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words here. Like, I don't think this is like a who's running the Hawks. Like, people know very clearly, and just we're going to see how well they can do. I mean, to to look at across the aisle and the front office where Travis Schlein came from, like Joe Lacob's sons, Kirk Lacob and Kent Lacob, are very involved in leadership structures there, and couldn't be more respected in that in and around that organization for their humility for how they've worked up the pipeline for how they have just played a contributing factor in the championship success there and are not like 
owner's sons running around, you know, demanding for things. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a silly yeah. story in my book that Joshua Harris's like 12 year old kid back in the 2013 draft was telling the Sixers to take Rudy Gobert at number 11, where they took uh, Michael Carter Williams, like, and everyone laughed at the dumb kid in the room. Cause he was just like a, a dumb kid, 11 year old kid, like saying, I like the big long guy. We think maybe blah, blah, blah. Funny enough would have been an excellent selection, but I say all this to say, like, I, th- I think, I mean, and, and my, my limited interaction meeting these guys when they were in town uh, in New York um, to play to play the next two weeks ago, whatever. Like, I think it's 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 it's, it's a wait and see situation. It's not exactly a hand wringing like uh, there, there's, and I don't think there was like. I mean, you, I don't think there was any like backstabbing when this was like a power, you know, seize, whatever. I just think Landry is uh, a very personable, you know, smart, super engaging guy who played in the league, who I think a lot of people want to follow and want and, and want them to, or, or look at him as you know a leader. And Travis, by all accounts, does didn't necessarily like grab the room. Uh, as much as he did. I don't think this was like uh doesn't really seem like it was necessarily like any type of, you know, game of Thrones action, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard, I've heard the same too. And like, as for the other thing about Trey, like I'm kind of with you, like I don't blame Chris for reporting what he did. I mean, I'm sure rival executives are saying that it's just one of those things where like, I, you know, Trey has a lot of power and that's what happens. Like superstar players have a lot of power. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. But I don't think that he would immediately demand uh, and command that somewhere else necessarily. Obviously he could get out if he wanted to. Um, stars can generally get out if they, uh, if they're on, you know, especially on a rookie extension, like he is, I'm sure he can get out if he wants to, but like, why would he want to do that is a great question that you just asked. Um, he does have a lot of juice, of course, uh, in Atlanta. And I, I also think that obviously he's not going to get traded unless he wants to get traded. The Hawks are not looking, I know people always ask me like, you know, after all of this stuff, you know, there, there's the Trey and Nate thing and all that, like, no, Trey's, Trey's number one in the organization. Outside of Tony Ressler, who's the actual owner of the team, I, I could argue Trey is number two on the list of terms of people that have the most juice around Atlanta. So I think he'll, he'll be here unless he, unless he, unless he wants to not be. And the other thing too, before we go to our first question here from Ice, um, I I got the very distinct impression and have continued to that everyone who's still running things with the Hawks and anyone who is gaining any more influence in this post Travis Schlenk era um, doesn't seem like this is like an ego play. Like these these guys want to win. Like that is that is clearly the goal. And I mean, getting a taste of the conference finals and then paying up for all these contracts and having to manage the books has been a little bit of a challenge. Right. But outside of that, like, I, I mean, you don't trade all those picks for DeJounte if you just want to, you know, put like him together with a guy that he wanted to play with. Like you're trying to maximize your super max player that you picked number uh, or that was picked number five overall and trader for Luka Doncic. You know what I'm saying? Like that it's, that is the goal here. I don't think that this is going to be just like a bunch of dudes hanging out, getting courtside seats, riding around the team charter, having a good time. Like they definitely have a goal of competing for, for titles here. Yeah, they definitely want to win. I mean, it, it made it a little bit harder because they kind of drew the line in the sand this year. And obviously you mentioned that I'm glad you said that because a couple of years back, you know, paying everybody makes life difficult sometimes, but then to do all of that. And then by the way, say, all right, we're not paying the tax this year. So that kind of leads them to train Kevin Herter to get under the tax. Like that's one of those, that's one of those deals that like raises eyebrows, especially like when people paying close attention, like, all right, well, how, how serious are they? But I, I'm with you. They, they do want to win. There's just that conflicting message sometimes of like, all right, we, we want to win, but also we're not going to pay the tax. And I'm not saying pay the taxes, everything that every team has to do every year. Like obviously there are realities financially to all of this stuff, but those uh, conflicting messages of like, all right, we're going to trade for DeJounte and kind of go all in, but not quite go all in because we're going to turn around and get out of the tax line was not popular. Let's just say. Yeah. Well, I think that's sometimes also a little bit of a misconception from fans sometimes where some, it, it seems a, a constant theme when I talk to teams, at least that when you know, you're going to be paying the tax, when you know that DeJounte is up in 2024 and Trey's deal hasn't kicked in yet and um, uh, you're going to – DeAndre Hunter's deal uh, hasn't kicked in yet and Clint Capella's going to be expiring soon and you've got other guys like Onyeka Congo who you're going to have to extend. Sometimes it does become a game of 
how do we get under the tax for this next year before we end up paying it for four straight seasons, you know? Right. That's um, definitely all right. a challenge. Yeah. All right, Ice. Thanks for popping in. What's going on? My guy, Jake. What's up? How you doing? I can't complain. Glad you got Brad finally on the on the call in. <laughs> so Brad's, you know. a, Brad's a longtime friend. A longtime friend. He's a great, great resource for us Hawks fans, you know. But aside from my usual John Collins update that I have to ask about, <laughs> can we can we kind of talk about Nate McMillan and how hot yeah. his seat is? I think back back in the summer, I think Darvin Ham, Ham had just signed with the Lakers, and we were kind of talking about coaches being on the hot seat and so forth. It appears that like the Hawks seem to be really going to like a much more younger analytical just organization as a whole. So like kind of what do, what do you guys think about his future in Atlanta, especially with the whole trade rumors coming up and kind of are there some guys you guys think would be like leading candidates for the job? Brad, I'll, I'll defer to you before I, before I answer. <laughs> I almost deferred to you. No. Um, it's, it's, you, you hear mixed things for sure. Like as soon as the reporting got out about the, the latest dust up, there was like a scramble to talk to people and try to figure out how, how warm the seat was. And like, I was told by several people that the seat was not warm at that point. And uh, you know, I have to believe that when I hear it, even for people that aren't prone to lie to me necessarily, of course, everybody lies at some <laughs> level, but it's, it's one of those things. Um, I do think that I've been saying this for like probably six months or more now, like if this season doesn't go well, I think Nate's probably in trouble at the end of the year. But in terms of like in the middle of the season, I haven't heard that anything is close there. Maybe Jake can correct me and I probably trust him more than myself, but uh, that's kind of where <laughs> I am. No, I agree. I think there's definitely, uh, it's, it's not a cold seat. <laughs> yeah, but, agreed on that. It's not cold. <laughs> but look, if you, if you were to do anything now, if you're if you're if you're Landry Fields and the front office there, if you were to do anything now, it would send a really really bad signal to whichever coach that you want to ultimately replace Nate McMillan. Again, we're just speaking hypothetically here. That the guy who you replaced Lloyd Pierce with, who you fired midseason because of his poor relationship or poor connection with Trey Young. And then gave the keys to Nate because of the unexpected run they had to, to the conference finals. And then his connection with Trey ended up dissolving. Wouldn't exactly be, wouldn't exactly paint a very encouraging picture to any candidate that was looking at that job. And yes, there are only 30 of them. So someone would be, someone would clearly look at that opportunity as a great opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA either again or for the first time, but it wouldn't exactly be uh, a rather encouraging sign. You know what I'm saying? Like it wouldn't give a lot of um, security on the horizon, if you will, for someone who, if you're the Atlanta Hawks and want to build a winning team around a superstar, you're going to want a, a top-tier coach who's available, and that person's probably going to have other options, right? Like Kenny Atkinson was the guy in Charlotte until he decided he wasn't, right? Jacques Vaughn was the guy in New Orleans until he removed his name from consideration, and they ultimately went with Lily Green, and that worked out for the Pelicans. Um, but it's just it's not like you can just make a list of candidates that you want to be your head coach, and they're just going to automatically say yes. So I, I – I would agree with Brad to wrap this up that if there is a move, it seems far more likely to come at season's end. And at this point, it does seem more likely than not that it will happen. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time between now and April and let alone how much further into the NBA calendar we get. Because just like what happened when he got the interim tag removed, we can see how success can change things in the NBA and there's certainly a thought or a hope at least that Landry being a former player and someone who is so personable and engaging may be able to be kind of a bit of a connective tissue between Nate's more old school approach and Trey's you know modern day philosophy if you will (laughs) (laughs) makes sense to me 
Anything else, Ice? I mean, I'm, I'm also curious. I mean, you guys kind of touched on this, but how the hell does Nick Wrestler have involved? I, I get he's the, he's the owner's son, but, like, how the heck does this kid that whose resume looks like mine before he became, became he got involved with the Hawks get personnel and decision-making power? It just I get that he's the owner's son and everything, but it doesn't really make any sense that this guy is so involved with the organization as much as he is. And it, it keeps coming in multiple reports now that the dude is super involved and whatever. I think Amic reported about it earlier on the Logan, well, with the well, well, Logan well, well, what What's your issue with it? I just don't get how, why, why this kid that has no experience in basketball operations or anything like that, all of a sudden can just come in and start, start making decisions, you know, I know why. I know why, but it's just—it's very frustrating as a fan to be like, "We're trying to win," but oh yeah, my what twenty-six-year-old, twenty-seven-year-old is the one leading the charge. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of GMs around the league right now who, when they got that job, never had any front office experience before. This is kind of a and and you know if you look at Nico Harrison coming from Nike and Leon Rose being a longtime agent, obviously that's far different from in terms of having decades of experience being around the NBA. But I think it's important to consider that, like, a lot of front office work is about getting clearance from ownership to even let you do what you want to do. And so, if there's someone who is essentially an extension of that, you know, big yes figure who can write the check who, to pay the tax and go build your team. Like, and he is more along the same age of your players and who, who you need to relate to and understand while also holding them accountable and, and keeping them as more of a partner than someone who is controlling the organization. Correct. And they're more of the age of your lead decision maker who um, has risen through the ranks by working at, you know, the most acclaimed organization possible in San Antonio and learning under someone who you entrusted, who came from a championship organization in Golden State and Travis Schlenk. Like, it's honestly not the most... Um, rare setup that that we see in the NBA. I mean, Patrick Fertitta, Tillman Fertitta's son, is super involved in Houston. I mentioned the Lakers earlier. And Vivek Ranadive's daughter is involved in the front office there now. I mean, you've got my you've got minority owners sometimes coming into draft rooms and just demanding that uh, a team takes a guy or trades a guy, and your front office staff who has been on the ground scouting and surveying the trade market for months, just gets overruled immediately because some billionaire just came in and pounded the table where I would much rather have that dude traveling around the team week to week to week, game to game, understanding them, talking with the players, sitting courtside, watching games. Like it, it could I, I understand why it sounds like on the surface, like Kendall Roy coming in out of, uh, <laughs> out, out of succession. Yeah. But like, there was also a, a reason that so many people in that succession world wanted Kendall to be successful. And obviously the, the, uh, the metaphor needs to die for right there because all the reasons that Kendall was not, I do not want to say is what is, coming with on Nick Russell's resume at all. I don't want that to be remotely, remotely, remotely alluded to. Um, but I just, I, all this is, this is all this is to say, like, I don't think it's curious because it's not the most traditional situation, but I don't think it's necessarily a detriment to the Hawks being better from here. And I mean, there's just the, the NBA is just riddled with history of, people's children being involved running these organizations and there's been success like it, there there has um even you know with agent sons coming in and working on one side or the other like 
I, I think it's far more common than people really uh, realize. And I also think that it, it's not exactly a, like a death knell and a recipe for disaster. I think there's been, uh, I think there's opportunity for it to work and for it to be beneficial for all parties involved. Like, I appreciate the effort. Some of the names you, uh, the, of the teams you mentioned don't exactly scream po- good organizations to me. But I think my my main frustration comes with the fact that it just seems like he has a big disconnect with the front office that was in place, which to me was a good front office with Schlenk driving the, the charge. But And this guy seems to be really buddy-buddy with Trey, which you want, but at the same time, I think they might give him too much of a leash. But I appreciate the effort. Again, last question, any John Collins yeah. update? Can we send him back to Detroit with the players from Detroit after tonight's game? <laughs> you know, when he got caught under the dog pile in Chicago, I was going to tweet. <laughs> there's a there's a, there's a metaphor here. Uh, to be, to be honest, I mean, like I I heard another little from from a, a GM this afternoon before we got on here about what Atlanta wanted back um, for him, and what I'll say is like the, in this particular scenario, they were looking at a recent young uh, former first round pick who's still on his rookie scale and wanted a couple of picks um, in addition. So I, I say that to say, like, I think Atlanta's, they have a sliding scale for what they would want back for him. Like, like they clearly they clearly want value back. They don't just want to get off of him. But I think it would be easier to find a, an obvious John Collins landing spot and a resolution to this um, if – for two things. One, the contract obviously continues to be mentioned as, um, you know, a deterrent for a lot of teams to not want to have to pay him for all those years, especially in an uncertain environment with the CBA. And the other thing is that there isn't a clear, like if the Hawks wanted a clear return back, I think it would be a lot easier for them to go shopping around. Like, I think the fact that they, you know, in recent years, looked at Joe Harris for him, and then they sent, you know, Utah a, a proposal of for Larry Markin, right? Like they're just they're, they're interested in Jay Crowder. Like there isn't exactly a like just a, a, a spot or like um, a role that they're trying to acquire that I think makes it a bit more challenging. Appreciate it as always. You got it. You got it, Brad. Any thoughts from you and all? I just rambled about. <laughs> no, the Collins thing is just, it, it never ends. And I agree with you 100% about like what they're asking for. Like, people, there's a snow shot that they're just trying to like, dump him and they're not. They're, the reason why he's still on the team is because they are asking for a lot for him. And that has not changed. That, that could change at some point. Maybe this front office shift changes things a little bit, but they're- I don't uh, think it well, will. I really don't. Yeah, I don't either. It's just, it, that's, it, I know it's really weird that he's been available for basically two and a half, three years now, but it's like he's available, but also- available for only a certain price and that makes life difficult and like we talked about earlier they want to win now and you know part of why he's still there is that they're trying to get something back that they can use now and that is not that doesn't make doesn't make it very easy like a lot of these a lot of these deals are like a good team trading a good player to try to like get future pieces or whatever and the Hawks are kind of trying to like toe that line of like staying good now and also maybe in the cupboard for the future and it's just like it's kind of a hard sell on some and some of these especially when you throw in the contract which is like it's a fine deal but you know it's a lot of it's a lot of years like you said and they didn't really negotiate him hard but they probably could have when they re-signed him which was interesting at the time but uh yeah i mean i i'm, I'm with you on all of this stuff like he's still a good player he still helps them win i think that's part of this too they, they just don't want to get worse while making the deal and that makes it hard abdul how can we help Hey, guys. Well, first off, uh, I feel like you could help if you perhaps put together an ownership group and take over the team. Uh, that would be possible. We'd greatly appreciate that. First off, uh, I want to thank Brad. Uh, you provide incredible Hawks coverage, probably some of the best on the Internet. Listen to the podcast every day. Thank you Hope so much. Hope my snaps thank went you. through. Thank you very much, my snaps. Um, secondly, this, just on the, on the John Collins topic, this is more of a comment than a question. But I think there needs to be a public apology to John Collins on behalf of the Atlanta Hawks whenever they trade him because he's done nothing but be a consummate professional for two, three years. He's one of the only guys on the team who plays hard every single night, no matter the circumstance. And they've treated him 
I, in my opinion, I think it's completely disrespectful, um, given what he's given to this team. Well, they so, did give him $125 billion. And, that, that does help. And, <laughs> that does and, help. and it's very much my understanding that he is looking for a change of scenery himself. So mm. it's not exactly like he's being held hostage here and they're just dangling him and his whole life is in disarray and blah, blah, blah. Like, sure. He could be moved any second now to a team that he has no choosing of, but that's also the this, this circumstance for 95% of NBA players. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point, yeah. and I'm sure the contract does help. Uh, but in terms of questions, uh, I was thinking about kind of the dysfunction that's been around the team this year and what that means for DeJounte Murray. Because, uh, I mean, as we know, he's not on a long-term contract. He's someone who's going to be uh, going into free agency and reading the, the tea leaves this year, kind of seeing comments he's made about how this organization is run a little differently. If we look back to the game that Trey skipped, there was the, the whole everybody eats scenario. There were some pointed comments after that game. Even recently, DeJounte's made comments about Trey kind of when you catch the ball and make sure you catch and shoot so you can actually take advantage of, of the, uh, the opportunity that's created rather than trying to reset the offense and run another pick and roll. I mean, this is a guy who, if he chooses to not come back to Atlanta, could really derail the the future of the organization. Where does that, where do his priorities kind of fall in terms of the organization needing to make him happy in order to succeed long-term rather than just kind of fitting whatever Trey wants to succeed? Because it seems like neither of them are adjusting 100% perfectly and I think a lot of that falls on Trey's unwillingness to be as active off ball as he can be uh, how do you how do you see the organization kind of taking DeJounte's temperature well it definitely was an idea at least conceptually that that would be part of why they brought him on right and I got to move on to the next call I would do a thank you um that bringing on DeJounte would not only help Trey defensively but it would allow him to play off ball more so like Steph Curry does in Golden State um, to be honest, I can't speak to what his thoughts are long-term or, or even in the interim. Um, I haven't talked to him, and I haven't really even asked anybody what that situation is like. But you know, dating back to the summer, him and Trey were gung-ho about joining up together. That, that, I mean, th- this deal doesn't happen if that's not the case. So um, I haven't heard anything to the contrary that that, that, that has changed. Um, I mean, Brad, you're watching this team every day. Do, do, do you think that there's any – cause for concern in that regard? No, I don't think so. I think DeJounte, to his credit, is, like, very candid, even when he speaks to the media. Like, no, nobody's 100% candid, but, like, he says some stuff that, like, a lot of guys won't say, and not in a bad way. He'll just, like, say what he thinks, especially after games, like, when he's when he's kind of still raw. And a few of the comments have been interpreted, I think, reasonably as, like, not, like, shots at Trey, but, like, more, like, noting what the team could be doing better, and some of that is Trey. Um, so that's maybe more I think he's maybe going with that. I don't think that, I mean, I haven't heard anything about, like, those guys not getting along behind the scenes at this point. And I, I'm totally with you on, on the pre-trade stuff because they definitely wanted to play together. They said as much on off the record. Everybody kind of did. So I think it's just more like just kind of nudging Trey in a direction to where he plays a little bit more uh, in a way that is, like, conducive to playing with DeJounte. Because your, your point about Trey moving off the ball, like, it would work, but Trey has to want to do it. And I, I know I've said that a ton, but people listening to me probably are rolling their eyes. But, like, part of it is that Trey has to – He's capable of doing it. He has to buy into that. And that's that selling point of like maybe DeJounte can kick, push him in that direction. Maybe the team can. But I think the perfect marriage of those two guys does include Trey, like kind of seeding a little bit. And that doesn't mean, and it's kind of just a little bit of a challenge because he's played one way for his entire career until now. And he finally has a guy that it's like worth deferring to a little bit. So maybe he's doing that a little bit more, but it's not like an overnight thing. He has to like get it to, get, sort of get new habits and things like that. All right. We're going to go to. Hawks and then David and then get out of here because I've taken too much of Brad's time. What's going on, Hawks? Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well. How are pretty you? Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Um, I had a quick question about if y'all had seen the report from um, I believe his name is Steve Bullpit from Heavy Sports, and like what y'all's thoughts were on it. If you haven't seen it, it was kind of just the head. One of the headlines was um, Trey doesn't like the coach. The coach doesn't like him, and other players have issues with Trey. I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts were on that. I'm just going to say that uh, uh, I think when 
discussing teams and people involved in these teams, it's a little unfair to print a collection of anonymous quotes that are so generalized in that you hear that stuff about every team. You could yep. write a you could write an article about every team in the NBA that just paints a really uh, dastardly picture of what the team is looking like. And sure, is there cause for concern about Trey and McMillan's relationship? Absolutely. Is there cause for concern about players not necessarily loving playing with Trey Young? Absolutely. Is it something that could ultimately and and is is this all ultimately pointing to the fact that Trey Young might not be the type of personality that can lead a championship organization? Yeah, but I think to run a bunch of quotes like that and not to critique other people's work, but this is just my personal philosophy on covering uh, the league. I don't know if that's the fairest way to do it. I would echo that <laughs> from Jake. It's not, it's not for me. Another thing, too, was, I mean, I'm sure y'all saw it, but it was talking about how Trey's dad is pretty heavily involved, um, you know, I guess, like, you know, in his camp and stuff. And I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts were on that because he, I noticed in the Hawks community, he's actually been going around and blocking a lot of us. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to hear some thoughts on that, too. Um, I don't think Ray Young is in the draft room making picks. But he's a former player who is very close with Trey and is very involved in Trey's day-to-day for sure. And if Trey Young is going to be very involved in the day-to-day, he's someone that uh, Trey is going to be getting advice from and influence from. So I don't know if that's necessarily like huge, buzzy topics, just like how someone close to LeBron could be considered having influence with the Lakers. You know what I'm saying? Or, um, you know, Kevin Durant's agent having constant dialogue with Sean Marks. That's, I I think that, I think there are figures like that players, you know, uh, uncle Dennis, Kawhi's uncle became such an NBA luminary figure throughout his whole free agency saga and trade requests from San Antonio. Um, in that he was very involved in, in you know, his, his nephew's decision-making. So, again, these are all things that are interesting data points, and they certainly raise an eyebrow, but I don't, I don't know if they're unique to Atlanta. Brad, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I, I agree. And also uh, the thing with, with Ray is, like, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, him just be – they're very close. Ray and Trey are very close which means Ray has influence on Trey, which I guess by proxy, like you said, might have influence on the team. But I think part of it gets blown out of proportion because Ray is very online. Like he's on Twitter and he's very visible. And like yeah. a lot of guys, a lot of players' dads are not that way. And that's not that's, – that's his choice. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Team Morant. Team Morant. Yeah. I mean, they're very similar in that way. But like Ray, Ray's willing to go back and forth with people on Twitter and he tweets during games and sometimes I'll delete it or whatever. But like he's just uh, he's he's invested in a way that like obviously you would be if you're some of an NBA player, but he's also public facing. So people like kind of pay attention to it more. If he wasn't on Twitter, I think no one would really have that same opinion. Maybe they would notice it around the league but i think that's part of it too and again there's nothing wrong with that that's just it just kind of shines a spotlight on like him being around because he does he, he is he is very public in that way which again like nothing wrong with it it's just what it's just kind of what it is yeah and, and ray's also very connected in the nba in that yeah former player and like he knows everybody yeah and that um i mean i wrote a cool story back at bleach report if anyone wants to google it uh that he was bringing trey to NBA games at, you know, 10, 11, 12 and meeting players and coaches and executives to the point where Trey was hanging out and watching TNT Thursday at Kevin Durant's apartment in Oklahoma city as a teenager. And I really do believe that that type of stuff helps guys who, you know, Steph and clay and this wave of players now who are coming in, who are the children and players that, we're in the league when you and I were kids, Brad, you know, KJ Martin having success in Houston, AJ Griffin (laughs) to our point earlier, like those, you know, if your dad's around the team because 
and, and around the NBA because you've just been around the NBA and maybe is a big reason why you yourself made it to the NBA. That makes some sense, you know. Um, David, our last call, Definitely. and then we'll get out of here. Okay. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on? Okay. Yeah. Hey, thanks for doing this. And Brad, thank you for all that you do for, you know, the Hawks fan base. Um, I just had a quick question. I know you kind of touched on this with the last two questions, but I just wanted to hear more about what Trey's relationship is like with his teammates. I know a lot of the recent reports that have come out over the, over the past couple of weeks have kind of touched the fact that, you know, things are pretty rocky right now. <laughs> and so I was just wanting to hear more about, you know, like what's going on with that. Brad, you, you see it more more up close and personal, so I'm curious for your thoughts first. Yeah, I mean, it's it's number one, we'll never know. That's something that I know you know, Jake, and we'll say, Jake, like, we never know all of it. Like, we're not there. Uh, I mean, we know people around the league and around, around teams, but, like, we're not in the locker room, so that's part of it, too. But, like, you know, Trey's had a reputation, and once you get a reputation, like, even dating back to college, like, there was stuff on him pre-draft about how his teammates didn't love him in Oklahoma, and, like, I don't know how real that was, but it was out there. And then once it's out there, it's like hard to not have it still be out there, especially when you're as famous and as good as he is. And, um, you know, I know when the Nate stuff got out, there was lots of reporting and also just like back channel stuff about how it wasn't just Trey and Nate. It was kind of Trey in the locker room. And um, I, I don't know how every single player feels about Trey, but I know he's not like universally beloved necessarily in that locker room. I can probably safely say that. But that's that's kind of the NBA, too. I mean, especially um for a star player, like it's very, it's more rare. I think maybe Jake can correct me, but it's more rare for me to have everybody like each other. Like, it's like, these guys are all, they're teammates, but they're not like, they're not all like friends. Like they're, a lot of them get along, no question about that. But I think it's more like typical stuff. And yeah, I think that this locker room is not the best in the best possible shape. Part of that probably has to do with Trey and Nate and like Nate versus, you know, everything. It's all kind of mixed together. But I also don't think that it's fair to like, you know, talk about how like everybody hates Trey either. It's like one of those things where it's it's not one or the other in in my mind, which is a lot of the way it's framed. Like it's not that you know nobody likes playing with Trey. He does have guys who I know like playing with, who people who I know like him personally. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that everybody does. So that's a very unsexy answer. That's probably uh, not going to get anybody excited about what I had to say there, Jake. But that's uh, that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for someone who pulls up from 35 and 40 often and has the ball in his hands as much as he does um, and is arguably a better – arguably Trey's best NBA skill is not his shooting or his scoring. It's his pick-and-roll playmaking and his ability to pass out of the pick-and-roll. And, roll. and for, someone with that, for someone with that ability to not be using that as much as the shooting and the scoring – it obviously leads to disconnects with teammates who don't have the ball in their hands and can't create as well as he can and are reliant upon that creation uh, in order to have success and for themselves to get paid. So when he's making super max money and he's not showing up to games when, or not games, game singular uh, when there's a little bit of disagreement with the coach and, you know, general just superstar, uh, type of behavior that again is what all superstars do um it's it's only natural that some teammates are going to get a little pissed or a little, a, little, a little pissed and miffed right that's just like i said piffed <laughs> that's just that's <laughs> just works. what happens. that's just what happens in this business but i think to your point brad and it's a big reason why i'm so high on victor Wamanyama personally the franchise guys and the franchise talents in this league who are also franchise people um, are fewer and farther in between. And New Orleans is pretty uh, pretty clear that that's how they feel Zion is with his personality and his infectious smile and how happy-go-lucky he is and how much he wants to work with people. Um, you know, Giannis is kind of the gold standard to me in terms of just – because Steph is quiet. Like, by all like – Steph makes everyone feel like they're his best friend. But he's not exactly like a, like a, a, a professor of, of philosophy that's going to say things that just make you want to run through a wall for him like Giannis is. So there's different ways to do it. And I think one thing that's clear is that Trey's got to figure out better ways to be able to get the most out of his teammates, um, whether on the court, off of it whether with his words or with his actions. That, that, that is definitely something that's clear. Um, talk for way too long. Brad, 
Thank you so much, man. Anything you want to say or plug before you get out of here? Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on as uh, this is a, it's a show that I've, I've listened to and you and I talk back and forth all the time, but I appreciate you having me uh, today in the middle of uh, Hawks Madness before Christmas. Um, people may not know, I host the Locked on Hawks podcast, which is uh, five-ish days per week talking all things Hawks, trying to be reasonable which people really don't like necessarily. <laughs> people are like reasonable, Jake. You know that. We tried, to, we tried to be reasonable here today. We, we did try that. People don't always love that, but that's that's my MO. So uh, check that out for sure. It's the number one thing to plug. And uh, again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. This one. You too, man. Um, I'm going to run through the comments before I sign off, but Brad, feel free to jump out if you have to. Um, Eladina Tarcanum asks... In my opinion, order of trade value, Larry Markkinen, OG Ananobi, Anthony Simons, John Collins. I'd say that, I mean, I have no idea how to assess Anthony Simons' value because he's playing so, so well and he's so integral to Portland's present and future. I have no idea to quantify what he'd be worth, but I would say he's pretty obviously at the top. Um, I think... Utah very strongly is going to look to keep Larry Markin and you'd have to blow the doors off of them in order to part with him. OG Ananobi, I don't know what his price will ultimately be if and when Toronto ever does decide to really pull the trigger there. Um, but definitely the early word is that you're going to have to provide multiple, multiple first-round picks to pry him from Toronto if the Raptors come to that point. Um, so John Collins, I think, would be uh, the pretty clear um, low man on the totem pole uh, in that regard. Um, do I see the Warriors making a move? Am I hearing anything? I mean, the Warriors, I think, will make a move on the margins. Um, I don't think they'll do something drastic and make a giant, uh, make a giant, you know, Jonathan Kaminga uh, move Wiseman package picks and whatever. But I think they will. I think they will be looking to try to upgrade um, the fact that you know, their their benching it just hasn't been the same as what it was um, last year. Uh, Joe Bo asked, "Why can't the Hawks do Bogey Bay and filler um, for John Collins?" I think Detroit, from my understanding, John Collins is not someone that they are uh, very keen on. I mean, they've got and I think they like Bay, just by all accounts. There's, there's some early salary disagreements for what his next contract will look like. Um, and they've got Jalen Dern and they've got Isaiah Stewart and they, you know, I, I just I just don't know how much of a need in the front court the Pistons feel like they have. Um, and that, I think, wraps up our comments. So, thank you, everybody. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, we'll be back with a couple shows next week because I only did one this week and kind of make up uh, a third on the back end of, the, of December. So um, we'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the holidays. Have a good weekend, everyone.